0: You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Well, good morning. It's good to be here. I'm always glad to be here on Sunday mornings, but especially excited and honored to get to open God's Word with you this morning. we're going to be continuing our way through the Gospel of John today. Our passage this morning is John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, and I've titled today's message, Come to the Good Shepherd. I'm wondering, have you ever taken a position on something without fully understanding it and ended up being wrong? This happens to me all the time. It actually happened to my wife Sarah a few months ago. Before I go any further, let me just say I do have permission to share this story. Uh, my wife, historically, has always very much disliked the board game Monopoly, uh, and me, not knowing this when we got married, registered for a game called Monopoly Deal. A Monopoly Deal is like a 15 minute card version game of Monopoly, way more fun, uh, however, My wife, for five years, refused to play this game with me because of her past history with the board game of Monopoly. Now, finally, this spring, she agreed, out of her love for me and laying aside her preferences, to play with me and came to discover that it is all of the good parts of Monopoly and none of the bad. It's become one of our favorite games to play together. Now, I promise, I'm not going to try and sell you copies of Monopoly deal in the back behind church after service. It's not why I'm telling you the story. I'm telling you to give some context to our passage today. In this section of John, Jesus is confronting the religious leaders and their judgment about who they believe him to be. In the previous chapters of John, the Pharisees have declared Jesus to be a sinner and even, at one point, straight up demon-possessed. Even though they continue to see miracle after miracle and scripture after scripture fulfilled in him, they repeatedly double down on their claims. Our passage today follows right out of one of these claims in John chapter 9. So, without any further introduction, if you haven't already, go ahead and turn in your copy of God's word to John chapter 10. Follow along as I read verses 1 through 21. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word for God's people. If you're like me, then this passage is very familiar and very comforting. There are many sweet truths in this analogy that Jesus is giving, but it may come as a surprise to learn that it isn't always received so well, either now or 2,000 years ago. We're going to see that this word picture that Jesus is describing was confusing and even divisive when people first heard it. We'll begin to see why as we continue through these verses, but one thing that we want to keep clear at the front of our minds The main point this morning is this Jesus cares for his sheep. It's very simple this morning. Go ahead and write it down in your notes. Jesus cares for his sheep. And we're going to see three ways in this passage that the sheep respond when they encounter the love of this caring shepherd. So here's the first way the sheep follow the voice of the shepherd, follow the voice of the shepherd said earlier that in this passage, Jesus is talking primarily to the Pharisees and addressing their claims about who Jesus is. There are generally two responses that people have when they encounter Jesus in the Bible. Either he is a sinner who must be silenced, or he is God and deserves our worship. We saw this contrast so clearly laid out in chapter 9. Verse 24 of chapter 9, after Jesus had healed the man who was born blind, the Pharisees make their position clear when they say, speaking of Jesus, We know this man is a sinner. Then a few verses later, the blind man reveals his belief in Jesus, and he immediately worships him. These two responses are what Jesus is addressing in the first six verses of John chapter 10. Before we go any further, though, we need to explain some of the context to Jesus' analogy. See, to Jewish people, shepherding was a common profession, and the details of the job would have been widely known and understood. But I'm not a shepherd, so I'm pulling most of my understanding from Fred White's Manners and Customs of Bible Lands. Shepherds in Bible times were nomadic people, wandering throughout the countryside looking for good, green grazing land for their flocks. However, in the colder winter months, they would keep their sheep in a community sheepfold located near their village with the sheep from all the other uh, shepherds in the area. The sheepfolds would be uh, tall, walled structures made out of stone with a single entrance guarded by a gatekeeper. The shepherds would be able to come and feed and water their flocks every day and care for them. And then as the uh, spring months were to come around again, shepherds would each come and with their own special call, they would call to their sheep and lead them out to find good grazing land once again. This is the scene that we're meant to picture when we read this first section of our passage. And hopefully it helps us see the significance of the details Jesus provides for us. So like I said before, Jesus is addressing the different positions that people took when they encountered him. Look back with me at verses 1 and 2. So says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. In these first two verses, Jesus describes two different people who have different ways and reasons for entering the sheepfold. First, we have a thief or a robber who might climb over the wall or he might burrow under. Essentially, he's going to come in by any way other than the gate. This is because he has no legitimate business being in the fold. The second person we are introduced to is the shepherd who enters by the gate. Jesus here is contrasting the Pharisees' assumptions about who Jesus is with the reality of his purpose. You see, if the Pharisees were to preach this passage, they would identify Jesus as the thief. They had convinced themselves that Jesus was deceiving and bringing harm on God's people. In reality, Jesus is the shepherd. He doesn't come deceitfully with malice toward the sheep. He comes through the door because he has sheep in the fold. Sheep who belong to him. Jesus isn't looking to take what belongs to someone else. He is here for his own. It says right here in verse 3, speaking of the shepherd, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Hopefully we can see what Jesus is doing here. He is making a connection to Christ's call of people into salvation. If you're a Christian here this morning, it's because at one point or another, Christ called you out of the world and welcomed you into his loving and gentle care. And it didn't happen by coincidence or luck either. No, it says he calls his own sheep by name. The shepherd knows every sheep that belongs to him. And Jesus knows every person whom the Father has given to him. In the latter half of this chapter, Jesus revisits this analogy about the shepherd and his sheep. Look really quickly with me at verses 27 through 29. It says here, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. See, the the sheep are a gift from the Father, and Jesus is not going to leave a single one in the fold. Now, we've seen Jesus doing this all throughout John. He is intentionally and personally calling his people to follow him. This is why in chapter 9, when the Pharisees slandered Christ, the blind man worshiped instead, because he was a sheep, and he had heard the voice of his shepherd, and he couldn't help but obey his call. See, the sheep know their shepherd. They've been waiting for him to come, and now that he has come, they are ready to follow him wherever he would lead. Now, Jesus isn't the only one, though, in this passage calling sheep. In verse 5, Jesus identifies strangers who are also calling, but it is clear that the sheep will not listen to them. There is only one voice that can draw them. There are no shortage of people looking to gather a following for themselves, people who want authority, influence, and praise. But Jesus won't compete with these false shepherds or strangers. Jesus, once again, here directly refers to the Pharisees, for it was the Pharisees who were trying to pull people away from following Christ. Still, their efforts were in vain. The sheep are not confused or tricked by the call of strangers. Jesus' voice is captivating to his sheep. It's enticing like a pool of clear, cool water. They are secure in the familiarity of their shepherd's call, and no stranger can lead them away. So how can we find this kind of secure confidence as we follow Christ? How do we know that we're actually following the good shepherd and not a counterfeit? Well, just like for the sheep, it is a matter of knowing his voice. We may not have an audible voice speaking to us, telling us what to do at every turn in life, but we do have preserved for us the very word of God. This is where we hear from our shepherd. This is where he speaks to us through these words written on these pages. That's why as Christians we put such a high priority on reading this book regularly. It's important for us to become familiar with what is written in these pages so we wouldn't be so easily led off course and astray. As we spend regular time reading and listening, we grow in our discernment of what is good and right and true, because the voice of Christ is becoming more and more precious to us all the time. And there are still strangers in the world today looking to pull sheep away from the shepherd, anyone from Instagram influencers to political commentators and life coaches and even some so-called Bible teachers, individuals who want to steal away your focus from following Christ. But our defense is in knowing our shepherd. Are you prioritizing regular time in the word, time listening to your shepherd, not because you have to, but because his word is refreshing to your soul? If we're going to follow Christ faithfully, then his word needs to be our guide. Now, maybe you have never been drawn to believe the words of Jesus before. Whether this is all completely new to you or you're just for the first time feeling drawn to trust that Christ came to save you out of the world, that's you today, then Christ is calling you. And as the psalmist says, if today you should hear his voice, then harden not your heart. Don't follow in the steps of the Pharisees and continue to harden your heart to the testimony of Jesus and the salvation that he freely offers. The reality is that the Pharisees feared all that they might lose if Jesus was really from God their authority, their praise of man, their sense of self-righteousness. You see, their love of sin led to their hatred of the sin forgiver. And you might be thinking right now about all the things that you might lose if you were to follow the voice of Christ. the Possibility of losing relationships or respect. Following Jesus means leaving behind sins. Sins you might not want to give up. Sins that maybe you still find comfort in. In the the analogy, the sheep lived in this large walled sheepfold, protected by a gatekeeper where they were fed and watered every day. Yet the voice of the shepherd was so sweet that they were willing to leave it all behind and follow him to a place filled with danger. They follow because being with their shepherd is worth it. See, Jesus is better than all these things that give us a feeling of normalcy and security. He's better than our routines and comforts. And as you follow him, you begin to see that life with the good shepherd far exceeds anything that you would leave behind. Maybe you've already been following Christ for a long time, and you just need to be reminded how much the shepherd cares for you. Sometimes it can feel like you're just a number in a huge crowd, and there's no way that the shepherd notices me or has time for me, thinking that he can't possibly be concerned with the burdens of my life. Remember what verse 3 says. It says he calls his own sheep by name. He calls you by name. And it's not like he found a Wikipedia article about you and skimmed it over real quick. You know, Paul, Pol- Paul Polson, born June 26, 1998, or Richard and Deborah Polson. No. Although he does know every detail about your entire life, when it says he calls you by name, it is revealing the intentionality of his love for you. You are special to him. A beloved sheep. I love the way that it's worded in the hymn, He Will Hold Me Fast. It says, we are precious in his holy sight. It's so good. If you are his, then you are precious to him. Treasured, loved, chosen. This holy and sovereign, righteous God looks at you and says, precious child. Remember, he didn't call you by accident. He intentionally set his love on you, and you will never be neglected by him. Could we have a better motivation to follow him than that? Christ is abounding in steadfast love and a worthy shepherd to follow. So what can we expect will come from following this shepherd? What is it like and where are we going and how do we get there? Verses 7 through 10 tell us. Here's our second point this morning. The sheep enter the door and live. Enter the door and live. Now, we're picking up in verse 7 here, but if we look back for a second to verse 6, we will notice that Jesus' audience was confused by his analogy about the shepherd. And now in these verses, he begins to compare himself to a door. So what's happening here? Is Jesus just scrapping his original analogy about the shepherd because it was too confusing? Or maybe he's just a little off his rocker and forgot what he was talking about 10 seconds ago? I don't think so. What Jesus is doing here actually perfectly fits with his shepherd analogy. He isn't changing the analogy at all, just giving a different perspective to provide some clarity. See, for the majority of the year, when the shepherds would be leading their flocks outside of the city, they would make simple, temporary sheepfolds out of rocks or brush to keep the sheep corralled at night. In order to protect the sheep, the shepherd would sleep inside the pen with the sheep, oftentimes right in the doorway. The shepherd would be a door for the sheep. This served two purposes. First... Any animal that wanted to come to get some lamb chops for dinner would have to pass the shepherd first. He was the frontline defense against anything that wanted to bring harm to the sheep. Secondly, the shepherd door was a way for the shepherd to keep the sheep contained. Sheep weren't able to wander off on their own to look for grass to feed in the middle of the night. There were too many things that could go wrong if the sheep were to be left unattended. It was the job of the shepherd to mediate the coming and the going of the sheep so that they could be cared for and protected. I imagine many of you lock the front door to your house for the same reasons. You probably do it to keep out intruders, but for those of you with little kids, maybe even more so, you lock the door to keep them inside, right? You don't want little Timmy deciding he wants to play Hot Wheels in the middle of the street at 2 in the morning. You lock the door to protect by keeping in those who belong and keeping out those who don't. And that is the role of the shepherd door. He is a protector of his flock. He provides safety and security. So, what is Jesus really saying here? What does he protect his people from? The answer is in verse 8, where Jesus once again mentions the thieves and robbers. You can picture a thief at night sitting on the outside of the fold trying to call a sheep to come near so that he could snatch them. We know the intention of the thieves. What does it say in verse 10? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The thief described here represents anyone or anything that stands in the opposition to the well-being of our souls. Jesus is clear throughout this passage that there is a tremendous amount of opposition for the sheep. It seems as if there is no escape from those who desire their destruction. Thieves, robbers, false shepherds, and wolves. It's dangerous out there for a sheep. Likewise, there is no shortage of weapons that the enemy might use to try to steal our joy, kill our hope, And destroy our salvation. He wants so badly to get you to forsake your shepherd, but there is one thing standing in the way, and it is no small thing. The promise of the shepherd. What does verse 9 say? I am the door. If anyone enters by me, I will try my very best to keep him safe. Is that what it says? No. If, he en- if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. This is as sure of a promise as can be made. If he said it, he will do it. The sheep are perfectly protected when they enter through the door. Notice, though, that the promise is not for everyone. It says, if anyone enters by me. This is the same point Jesus is making in John 14 when he says to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's him and only him. There is no other door, no other way, no other spiritual guru, no amount of humanitarianism or good intentions will get you into the fold where you will be safe. There is one door, and his name is Jesus. And it's not just safety from harm that he gives his sheep. He gives life both by protecting and providing. The second half of verse 9 they will go in and out and find pasture. And again, at the end of 10, in contrast to the thief who only wants to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus says, I came that they may have a life and have it abundantly. The abundant life Jesus is talking about here isn't about having more money or a bigger house or personal fulfillment. See, all the money in the world is of no benefit to our eternal souls. If we have entered the door, if we are part of the fold of God, then we have Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as Paul says in Ephesians 1. Christ is our keeper, our comforter, our companion, our counselor. He is our center. He is everything. He himself is everything our souls need to be satisfied and filled. He is our portion forever, our everlasting desire. If we are with the shepherd, we are safe and we are fed. Anyone who wants life for their soul must enter only. By Jesus. If you would wholly trust Jesus as your only way to life, then he will give it to you in abundance. See, He satisfies the hungry. Beloved, enter the door and be saved. There is no other door that you can enter and find life. The New Age doesn't save, Buddhism doesn't save, Mormonism doesn't save, being accepting doesn't save, kindness doesn't save, your parents don't save, and charity doesn't save. There is only one door, one way that saves. You must enter Christ and you will receive life. With him, you will be protected from death and he will give you all that you need to endure in the faith. Now, I don't want to discount the fact that it doesn't always seem like we're frolicking through beautiful green pastures. Maybe you had expectations that life was going to be relatively easy, that you're always going to have this perfect, joyful outlook on life as you walk with Jesus, you realize that there are lots of times where it doesn't feel like you're living the abundant life in this passage at all. It feels more like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, with trials and suffering seeming to be endlessly piled one on top of another, and it can be unbelievably weighty. Maybe you find it hard to believe that this analogy can be possibly true in your life. Beloved, today you have all that you need to live a life of faithfulness to the Lord. He will never run out of grace for you. The pastures of grace cannot be overgrazed. They don't wither in drought and they don't go dormant in the cold. You can always come back day after day and find new mercy from the Lord. When the kids just won't seem to listen, when your job is demanding more than you can handle, when temptation is nagging at you and you're ready to give in, go to your shepherd for food. You have a sure promise from your shepherd and God. If you are a part of Christ's fold, then you will find pasture. What does it say in Psalm 23, 1? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He cares for you right now where you're at, and he gladly provides you with all that you need. Listen again to how the hymn writer says it. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, Christ will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Beloved, that is the beauty of this promise. The mercy of the Lord has no end. He will not let you go without. He will keep you. He will give you endurance. He supplies joy and peace and hope when we need it in the exact right portion, and at the exact right time. If you haven't trusted in Jesus yet to be your shepherd, then enter the door today. Now, there are still some questions that we need to answer here. The sheep who enter by the door will have life, but what does the shepherd do to attain it for the sheep? And how can the sheep be confident that he will come through? Why should we have confidence in the promises of Christ? This is what Jesus is going to explain in the last section of John chapter 10. Here's our third point this morning. Trust the sacrifice of the good shepherd. Trust the sacrifice of the good shepherd. In verse 11, Jesus tells us how we can trust his promise to the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Israel has had a history full of bad leaders. Shepherds who took advantage of the sheep for their own gain. Prophet Ezekiel prophesies against the shepherds of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 34. Keep your finger here in John 10, but turn with me to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel is about halfway between the Gospel of John and the middle of your Bible. I don't know if that's helpful, but that's how I remember. So turn to Ezekiel 34, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and then again uh, come back and read verses 10 through 16. I'll give you just a second to turn there. Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, The strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. These leaders that the Lord is condemning through Ezekiel had no compassion for those whom they were over. They were exploiting the sheep for their own gain, and the Pharisees were just the latest version of this. Speaking about the Pharisees, Jesus says in Matthew 23, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. I think it's clear that those are bad shepherds. Shepherds who don't even care about their sheep. Shepherds were always only looking out for their own interests at the expense of the needy. This is Israel's history, though. This is sadly what they were accustomed to. But this makes Jesus' statement here all the more wonderful. I am the good shepherd. You've had too many bad shepherds to keep track of, but now there is a new shepherd, and he is good because he is God. Look back at Ezekiel 34. I'm going to read verses 10 through 16, where we get a response from the Lord to these wicked shepherds. Starting in verse 10, it says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against these shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his own flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of cloud and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and then the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. What a contrast. (laughs) This is a good shepherd. One who gathers instead of scattering, one who feeds instead of stealing, one who is just and not wicked. This is the shepherd Israel was waiting for, when the Lord himself would come and lead and care for his people. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd, the awaited one, a shepherd who would finally love the sheep and give up himself for their good. He cares for his own, even to the loss of his own life. The shepherd loves the sheep to the utmost, unlike the description of a hired hand in the next few verses of John chapter 10. The hired hand leads the sheep until the point that it would cost him. He is there solely for profit, and therefore he will flee at the first sign of danger, leaving the sheep to fend for themselves and ultimately die. Again, we can see the connection to the Pharisees here. Pharisees use their position for personal gain without any care in the world for the needs of the people. They didn't have love for people. They loved what they could gain from them, but not for the people themselves. Look at verse 13. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The Pharisees didn't care about people. They cared about money and praise. The people were merely a means to an end. But Jesus is so very different. He knows his own, and they know him. See, there's a special relationship here one that Jesus is willing to die for. Many of us are probably familiar with this idea of knowing in Scripture. The term is used to talk about more than a head knowledge about someone, but it's really referring to a personal relationship, like a shepherd who spends all of his time with the sheep. Jesus takes this concept to a whole new level here, though. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Wow, that is a mind blowing statement. Jesus relates his knowing of the sheep to his knowing of the Father. And how great is the love between the triune God? It's immeasurable, incomprehensible, it is infinite. It is the greatest of all loves because it comes from a God who is himself love. And Jesus says, I know my sheep that same way. There is so much wrapped up in this single phrase that we could never really mind its depths in this lifetime. But what is clear is that Jesus' love for his people is far greater than we could ever comprehend. His love is perfect and unchanging. The shepherd is abounding in love for his sheep. He is one who the sheep can gladly trust and follow. And this goes for all of his sheep. Those in the fold and those who are still being called. Sheep from outside of the fold. This is the point of verse 16. Jesus is saving people not just out of Israel, but Gentiles too. He saved people not just in the first century, but throughout all of history. He is continuing to call his sheep. Calling them all together to die for them. Five times in this passage, Jesus says he lays down his life. He gives it up willingly for the good of his sheep, of all of his sheep. It's a common opinion today that Jesus' death on the cross was merely a tragic accident. I mean that Jesus came to love and give good moral teaching, that he got caught up in the middle of political and religious tensions and simply became a tragic casualty. He certainly did not come intending to die. This passage here should dispel any such foolish notions. I lay down my life for the sheep. In verse 18, he says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. This was his plan. At any moment on the way to the cross, he could have called legions of angels to pull him out, but he didn't because he intended to die. It was his plan because it was the only way to save his sheep. He refused to abandon them because he loved them, even as he loved the Father and the Father loved him. He was determined to save them even to the point of dying. Now, if a shepherd dies saving his sheep, we might think, well, that's good and all. But what now? What happens when another band of robbers or another pack of wolves come? The shepherd is dead. You can't do much to protect sheep when you're dead. You may have bought some more time, but I suppose that's all that we can expect from a shepherd. I suppose he tried his best. But Jesus is no ordinary shepherd, is he? An ordinary shepherd has authority to lead and care for his sheep. The good shepherd, however, has all authority. He not only exercises authority over his sheep, but over life and death. He tells death when it may have his life, and he commands death to give it back. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. Just as he planned to die, he always planned to come back again. He will not leave his own. The good shepherd has been given all authority, and he sovereignly rules over everything in existence. He is unmatched. No foe can stand against our all-powerful shepherd, not even death. For death has no power over our all-powerful shepherd. He reigns and rules over all, and we have the privilege of being under his gentle and compassionate over and over again, the call of this analogy is to follow Christ. Follow him as the good shepherd who knows you, who cares for your soul, who provides for your every need, who loves you enough to lay down his very life. Put your whole trust in him to save and keep your soul today. There is also a call here to call. you like, is he okay? Yes, there is a call to call. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. You see, the work is not done. There are still sheep who have yet to hear the voice of their shepherd. People who are around us every day, people who don't know that they're sheep. In Acts 18, verses 9 through 10, after Paul had been witnessing to the Jews in Corinth with little success, we read that he was ready to wash his hands and be done with them. But the Lord says to him, do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Paul's ministry for the Jews in Corinth wasn't over because Jesus still had people in that city. People who needed to hear the gospel, they needed to hear their shepherd call. You better believe that he has people in this city too. He has people at HGB and Dos people at Landa Park and Canyon Middle School. Is people living on your street and in your apartment complex. You might even have people living in your own home. And we get to tell them. See, he's not going to leave them. If they're his, then he will gather them. But we get to tell them about the shepherd who doesn't exploit his sheep, the shepherd who would willingly die for them. We get to call them to follow him with us. See, his sacrifice is sufficient to save us. And his resurrection is a guarantee of his care for us. He did not leave you by staying dead, and he will not leave you even when you yourself face death. Even death will not separate you from the love of Christ. Tim Challies wrote this book called Seasons of Sorrow After the Unexpected Death of His 20-year-old son, Nick. In this book, he writes a poem modeled after the classic by John Donne called Death, Be Not Proud. Listen as I read a section from this poem. He writes... Death, though you may think you are a master, you are but a servant. Though you may think you are mighty, you have only the limited shreds of power that God has granted you. Though you may think you are scary, I laugh in your face. You may be convinced that because you have walked this earth since the days of the garden, you will walk it forever. But listen, and you will hear that the clock is ticking. Look, and you will see that the sands of time are sinking. Think, and you will know that your doom is fast approaching. For to the same degree that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ guaranteed the lives of those he loves, it guaranteed your demise. Beloved, are you sorrowful, burdened, fearful this morning? Take heart. The good shepherd has defeated death. Christ's victory over death ensured our own. We will feast in the green pastures beside our shepherd forever. This is the care that Jesus so graciously provides to his sheep. Now, if you're observant, you'll notice that there are still three more verses in this passage. Here at the end of the passage, we get to take a step out of the analogy, and we actually get to hear the response of the crowd who had heard it. Let me read these last verses and close with one final observation. Starting in verse 19, it says, There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You see what's happening here? It's exactly what happened in chapter 9 that we talked about at the beginning. Here again, we get two opposing responses to Jesus' teaching. Those who have hard hearts and reject Christ and those who cannot deny their shepherd. He is undoubtedly the good shepherd. I pray that this would be known by each person in the room today. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you. Thank you that you sent Christ. that you sent Christ to be our shepherd, and to come and to love for us, to care for us, and that you did not abandon us when we face death, when we face sin every day. God, you gave us an escape. You gave us a way out through Christ, through his perfect life, the life that we were supposed to live and could not, and through his sufficient death on the cross, the death that we deserve to die. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have called us into your fold to save us, save us out of the world. Christ, we need you. We need you this morning. We need grace and mercy, and we come to you asking for food. Would you give it to us in abundance? We need help. Life in this world is hard, and uh, without you, it's impossible. So we come before you needy. Needy asking our shepherd, would you lead us? Would you give us strength and endurance and peace? God, today, this week, and throughout. Lord, we trust you. We trust your goodness. Trust that you know the needs of our life, the needs of our heart. And that you are sufficient to care for us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask all these things now in Christ's name.